0: God, we see a principle throughout your word that we become what we behold. God, whatever's in our hearts, we end up up becoming and, and living just like that. And so, Lord, we come together this morning, and we desperately need to see you. We need to see you in all of your glory and your beauty and your majesty. And, Lord, we need to be transformed by you. So, God, I pray that you'd use your word, that you'd use your spirit to do that kind of transformative work in our hearts and our lives. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would even shine a light into our hearts, those areas that we continue to look at and say, mine. God, would you show us those areas? Would you help us to live open-handedly? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you and I were uh, grabbing coffee together, a meeting and just kind of hanging out and talking, and I turn to you and I ask you the question, how do you know that someone is truly a Christian? What would you say to that? How do you know that someone is truly a Christian? Maybe you'd point out the the fact that someone needs to confess their sins, turn from their sins and believe in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross, that he's paid for your sin, that you've trusted in Jesus by faith, not by your own works, and that Jesus' righteousness has been transferred to your account. That'd be a great answer. But what if I then followed up and ask you the question, how do you know someone actually believes that? Anybody can claim to believe in that. We have a lot of people claiming to believe all kinds of things, but how do you know someone actually believes in the gospel? In other words, what is an outward sign that someone is truly saved? Now, you might then respond and say, well, uh, there, there's some good works that that person would need to Uh, to to perform or to demonstrate in order for their faith to be genuine and real. You might even point to the fruit of the Spirit or to time in the Word, time in prayer. You might point to the fact that person needs to be a loving uh, person. Those are good and right answers. But I want to suggest to you this morning, that one of the greatest marks and clearest fruits that someone is truly a Christian is their Generosity that I want to present to you this morning, that when the gospel of Jesus Christ comes into someone's life, when his life-transforming grace is actually embraced, that that will result in an open-handed, joy-filled, grace-motivated, sacrificial generosity. That's what I want to present to us today. In fact, there are lots of passages in scripture that talk about generosity and this connection. Let me just give you a couple here. First John 3 says, "But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him?" Or Hebrews 13, "And do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased." Deuteronomy 15 If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted toward them. Rather, be open-handed and freely give them whatever they need. See, generosity is not only the greatest mark of faithful stewardship, but I would argue that generosity is the greatest mark of being a Christian. And that's what I want to convince you of this morning, that to be a Christian means to be a generous person. And so as we close out this sermon series, I want to walk through 2 Corinthians 9 verses 6 through 12 and point out four aspects about generosity. Here's uh, the first one here in verse 7, is that generosity begins with the heart. begins with the heart. Before we look at verse 7, look at verse 6 Briefly here because Paul is presenting an overarching principle of this entire passage. He says that the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Paul is, is saying that giving is an investment, that when you give, it's like planting a seed that will then harvest and produce various fruits much better than itself. So giving leads to other things. Giving leads to contentment, as we looked at last week. Giving leads to an increase in God's kingdom and loving God's kingdom. Giving uh, can even clarify our priorities and our values, what we love most. And what we'll see in a moment here is that giving can actually lead to receiving more. But then notice what Paul does here. In verse 7, he moves from verse 6 to verse 7. And he doesn't then suggest a specific amount to give. And that's something you might anticipate him doing. Like, okay, because of verse six, here's how much you need to give. He doesn't go there. He actually moves to verse seven and he targets the heart. He targets the root issue. And he shows us that motives matter in our generosity. Look how Paul puts it in verse seven. He says, each one must give as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Faithful stewardship understands that motives matter and that motives are developed based on the condition of one's heart, which is why I think Paul in verse 7 suggests two bad motivations as it relates to generosity. If you look at here, he says, Do not give reluctantly. This means to have an unwillingness in your giving. Or to give even tight-fisted. But then he also says, don't give under compulsion or or this attitude of, I have to do this. Or or you give because you feel pressured or you feel forced. Well, Paul calls us to be cheerful givers, to be joyful givers, to be happy givers. In fact, this Greek word for cheerful is where we get our English word hilarious from. Now, what Paul's not suggesting is to giggle every time you give or to laugh every time you give. Rather, he is suggesting that we are to give because of the love and the joy that's in our hearts, that we experience so much satisfaction, so much joy, so much fulfillment in Jesus that it propels us to give with this attitude of not I have to, but I get to give, See, this is another way of saying what Jesus said, that you're more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we all want to be those kinds of givers, don't we? We want to be those kinds of faithful stewards, not just with our money, but our time and our possessions and our our resources. But the only way to become that kind of cheerful giver is dependent on the condition of your heart. Be a cheerful giver based on your heart. So it begs the question... What drives your generosity? We're going to get into the space of of motives this morning. What is motivating your giving? When you give financially to the church, why? When you serve, which many of you just got done serving somewhere in the church, why do you serve in the church? Why do you do the things that you do around the house to serve your family? Why, Why do you use the gifts that God has given you in the workplace? why? What, what is behind that and underneath your actions? I want to suggest to us this morning, not to be overly simplistic, but I think that there are three predominant motivations when it comes to our generosity. Uh, the first one uh, is that sometimes we are actually driven by guilt. This is a big one. This is something that I, I can even struggle with from time to time, that we're, we're motivated because maybe we hear a sermon on generosity and we think to ourselves, Man, I'm not giving the way that I should, and so I've got this negative, bad feeling, this guilty feeling, and I need to get rid of this feeling, and so I'm going to then give. Or maybe you look at other people who are giving, people who are sacrificing, people who are serving, and you're like, man, I don't stack up well against them, and here comes that negative, guilty feeling. I want to get rid of that, and so I'm going to then give. It's not a good motivation. Here's another poor motivation is greed. The reason why some of us give is because of what I get in return. That we think, okay, if I'm faithful to God and God owns it all, then surely he's going to give me more if and when I give. And this kind of stems from even a prosperity gospel mentality, what we talked about last week, that if I'm faithful to God, God's going to keep me healthy and make me wealthy. And this motivation really elevates the gifts over the giver, it's really saying, God, I don't really want you, I just want your stuff. And it's a really bad motivation to have. So what's the right motivation? What's a healthy motivation, a, a powerful motivation that actually lasts? Well, I want to suggest to you today that the, the motivation we are, to have, we are to have in our giving is to be filled and motivated by grace, To be motivated by the grace that's actually found in the gospel in which God has demonstrated. Look at verse 8 with me. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Notice what Paul is saying here. He's saying that God is able to fill our hearts with grace so that our hearts are motivated by grace that results in doing every good work. See how Paul links the two. Being filled with grace results in doing good works, namely being generous. And so this idea of of being grace-motivated in our generosity is born out of God's ridiculous generosity to us. And thinking about how generous God has been to us, motivates us to wanting to be generous to those around us. Not motivated out of guilt, not motivated out of greed, motivated out of the grace of God. See, when you understand all that God has done for you and to you, not just materialistically, not just financially, not based on the gifts that he's given to you, but based on what he has done in and through his son, Jesus Christ, in the gospel— Man, when that gets inside your bones, you become a grace-motivated, generous person. Like when you, when you see all that God has done, that he did not hoard his only begotten son, he only had one of them, but was he tight-fisted with Jesus sending him to the cross? No, he was open-handed even with Jesus, sending Jesus and giving him up generously to the cross, so that we can be forgiven. Man, we didn't deserve that. We did not earn that. There, there was nothing in our lives that God said, okay, because Joe Smith is acting this way, I then need to send my son Jesus to die for him so that he can be forgiven. There's nothing in us that God looked at and said that. He, he sent Jesus in order to save us because of his generosity, And so God can say those words over your life that you are forgiven, your sins have been cleansed, they've been dealt with, they've been put away forever and ever because of God's generosity in giving us his son freely. And man, when you understand that, when you realize that, man, everything I've been given is because of God's generosity, it changes how you live. You view everything through that lens of everything that I've been given. So look, man, if you're, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we love that you're here, number one. We, we love that you're coming to church. But if you would say, I'm not a Christ follower, I don't fully believe in these things, I don't care if you listen to anything else I have to say this morning, I want you to understand one thing, and it's the most important thing, is that God loves you, that the Creator of the universe, the the one who made you, loves you. And he loves you so much that he wants to rescue you from your sin. And he provided a way to do just that. And the way he provided a way is by sending his son generously to die in your place, to take away your sin where Jesus, not you, Jesus absorbed all of the wrath and the penalty that we should have experienced. Jesus took it on your behalf And if you're not a Christian, my call to you would be to place your faith upon Jesus and to turn from your sins so that you can experience forgiveness and everlasting life in him. And that's what we want for you. We would actually would love to talk to you about that, even after the service, if you feel like the Spirit of God is moving in your life. And yet, I also say that because if you are a Christian, you and I need to understand that the grace of God and the generosity of God is the foundation for biblical stewardship. Like, the gospel is how we can be this grace-motivated, cheerful giver. Okay, I want you to stop for a moment and think about your heart like a bull. P- picture your heart like a bull. And when you, when you receive Jesus into your life, when God invades your life through the gospel— what he does to the bowl of your your heart is he fills it up with grace. He, He fills it to the brim. And because it's unending, his grace in your life just overflows out of your heart into every area of your life. So you become a generous person. Well, here's the challenge, is that when we get motivated by guilt to give, what guilt does is it pokes holes in the bowl of our heart. So we start to leak grace. See, when you're motivated by guilt in your giving, there's never an amount of of giving that satisfies that guilt. So you end up running out. But if you're motivated by greed, what greed does is it's like a lid that's placed over the bowl of your heart where you don't want to give because you want to hold on to what I have. What I have is mine. I don't want to lose that. But what that results in is not only not being generous, but you can't receive more from God. And yet, what I think this passage is calling us to is if our hearts are like bowls, is to be open so we can receive more of God's grace and as a result be more and more generous. And so I think Paul's calling us to pay attention to what's in our hearts and being grace-motivated in our generosity. Here's the second aspect, though, of, of generosity in this passage is generosity understands that God is never in need. Never in need. Look at verse 8 for a moment. I want you to to see the emphasis on the word all. How many times does Paul use the word all in verse 8? Three. Three times in one verse. And then he uses the word every. Paul is answering the question, how is God able to make all grace abound to us? He's able to do that because all of grace belongs to God. See, we don't give, God doesn't call us to give because he has needs that we are meeting. God owns it all. Everything belongs to him, which is why he's able to give us all that we need in all times with all things. And so this is really important. As we think about generosity, God's not calling us to give to meet a need that he has. He's calling us to give because of what it does in our own hearts, and, and I think this is important because as he's starting this conversation on generosity for this church in Corinth, he doesn't start it with a need that God has, but with a grace that he wants to give. And this church was struggling with that idea. I mean, we walked through the book of 1 Corinthians, uh, uh, you know, over a year ago. We learned that this church was, was prideful. We learned that this church had a huge sense of entitlement, that the city of Corinth was a, a major hub in modern-day Greece, It was actually the the center point in this major trade route from the east to the west. So it was a thriving port city. It was a cultural center point. And so the the city was marked by wealth and intelligence and artistic creativity, but also with immorality. And so was this church. And so Paul is, is calling them to shift from having an owner mentality to having a steward mentality to transition from thinking all that I have belongs to me and it's mine, to then viewing that everything I have actually belongs to God. And so the correct question is, God, how do you want me to use all of it? But here in this verse, Paul is reminding us that we are to be faithful stewards, not because we're meeting a need that God has, but because of what it does in our own hearts. I think sometimes one of the one of the struggles that we have within generosity, and sometimes I struggle with this in my own life, is I can fall into this trap of, okay, I'm gonna give to God whatever that is, and then the rest really belongs to me. Like, I get to determine how to use the rest of what I have. And it kind of reminds me of an experience I had. I was going out to eat with this, with this man. He was well off, and he'd always pay for my meals, and I'd always lose, like, this, this match of, like, no, I'm going to take, take the check. And he'd always take the check. And he always had the trump card. He's like, you're in ministry. You're, you're never paying a meal with me. And so I'm like, okay, whatever. Let, let me at least pay for the tip, right? Let me, let me just cover that, right? Pay, pay for the tip, whatever. So the bill came, and I looked at the toll, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, 20% of that. Like, that's a lot. And, so, and he saw kind of that, that, you know, look on my face. He's like, man, you don't need to pay for that. I don't need you to pay for the tip. I just want to bless you. I just want to enjoy having a meal in each other's presence and just for me to pay for all of it. And I thought about that in light of this topic, in light of of thinking about generosity. And I don't know about you, but I often need to be reminded that God does not need to be tipped. He wants to be worshiped. Like God doesn't need us to kind of chip in and think, okay, I'm going to do my part and then the rest is mine. God owns all of it, including the resources that we're tipping him by. And so this is a great reminder. Focus on worshiping God. Focus on being consumed with who he is. And when you're, when you're in that place of being in awe of all that he is, it leads to an extraordinary amount of freedom in your giving. And I think this is important because when you get down to it, there are really two different ways of thinking about your stuff and your resources. And based on uh, where you fall, it reveals a lot about your maturity level. There's one way of thinking about your stuff and your resources, where you basically do believe that everything that you have belongs to you. Like, you know God's the creator, but I worked for these things, I earned these things, so I get to decide how to use them. But you're a Christian, and you wanna be a good Christian, and so you think to yourself, what of mine, do I need to give back to God? What if mine kind of belongs back to him? And you can almost view it as like a God tax. Like, what do I need to owe back to him? What what in my life do I need to give to him in the form of a tax? And then the rest of it, I just use however I want. And that is an immature way of viewing your stuff and your resources. The other way is to understand that it all belongs to God, that every last penny is God's. Every talent, every gift that you have belongs to God, and he's giving those to you so that you can steward and use for his purposes. Every breath that we breathe is God's. And so the question is, God, how do you want me to use everything? How do you want me to use all of it? Not just the 10% or the God tip or the God tax, but every last penny, every last gift that we have, God, how do you want to use all of it? And so we give not because he has a need, but because he owns everything. And then the third aspect of generosity, and this is what it leads to, is that the result of having this open heart that's filled with grace is that it leads to having an open hand in our generosity. Look at verse 11. Paul says, You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. This is such a fascinating verse. I think Paul is is saying, look, you're going to be enriched. God's going to give you things so that you can then be generous. And what Paul is saying here is if you have an open heart to what God pours into your life, that will result in an open hand in your generosity. But the reverse is also true. If you have a closed off heart, then that will result in a closed hand in your generosity. Just to illustrate this point, I've shared this before, but whenever I'm bringing in groceries from the car into the house, I play a little competition with myself. I try to do it all in one trip right? And I know I'm not the only one in here, but for me, I, I just want to accomplish one thing in the day and, and make the day worth it. And so I just try to get it all in one trip. So what inevitably happens is, is my hands are just full of the groceries, right? Like I'm holding onto those grocery bags with like this white knuckle death grip. The, the circulation of my arms gets cut off, you know? And, and what inevitably happens is I'm so full of my stuff, I can't even open the door, right? And and I know that my kids are waiting for me on the other side because they heard the garage open and, and they know when daddy goes to the store, he's going to get a little sidetracked, maybe not get everything on, on mom's list, maybe get some Reese's and you know, some sour worms. And so they're, they're waiting for me to come in and maybe to get a Reese or, or two. And so they're just waiting there, but my hands are so full of my stuff, I can't even open the door and, and, and bless them with, with, those, with those prizes. And that picture there, that, that, that is a metaphor for how many of us live with our stuff and our resources and our money and our time and our possessions, where we have this death grip around them, where we're like, no, these are mine. I'm not letting go of them. And yet what that does is it does two things. One, you actually miss opportunities to bless others and to be generous And you're missing out on ways that God wants to bless you because you can't receive because your hands are closed. And so Paul reminds us in verse 11 that God wants to enrich us in order for us to be generous. So why does God give you stuff? Why does God bless you? Why do you have what you have? Paul says to be generous. Generous. And, and I don't know which one comes first. Like, does God enrich you in order to be generous, or are you generous and then you'll be enriched? There's probably arguments on both sides, but I do know this, that if the posture of your heart remains like this, where you have a curled fist, you're gonna miss opportunities to experience God's grace in deeper ways and to bless and be generous and give to others. See, a lot of times when we think about generosity, We so often think about what God wants from us, and yet Paul is reminding us that generosity is actually what God wants for us. See, he says, you'll be enriched in every way. What does that mean? Well, every means every, that God wants to enrich us. He wants to bless you, obviously, with his grace, He wants to give you a deeper satisfaction in who he is. He wants to grow your love and your view for the kingdom. He wants to develop contentment in your heart. And yes, God will at times bless you with material things, with money, with finances, so that you can be generous in every way. One of the the best examples of this, I think, in the New Testament, at least from my point of view, is the feeding of the 5,000. I know that most of us know that story, and the 5,000 is really like 20,000, because if you count children and women, so many people are there listening to Jesus teach, and it's getting toward the end of the day, and the crowd is hungry. And so the disciples are like, man, what do we do? Like, we can't, we can't meet this need. There are too many people here. We, we don't have enough resources. Let's send them back into the town. And so Jesus responds, he says, no, no, no. you give them something to eat right? And they're like, well, what resources do we have? And if you notice, it's not the mature disciples. It's this little boy who comes to them open-handed with what he has, five loaves of bread, two fish, and he says, here. Now, did the boy know that Jesus was then going to multiply all those things and have a miracle and have 12 basketfuls left over? Maybe, maybe not. But he was just being faithful, he was demonstrating, probably challenging many of us today, not to have the, a scarcity mentality, but to have an abundance mentality of you can't outgive God. God owns it all. And so this little boy is just coming in faithfulness, open handed, and just saying, Here, take this and, and multiply it for the kingdom. And you have to wonder, like, what compelled him to do that? Like, you have to wonder if, like, the dad was like, no, 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 we're not sharing those things. Like, you know, those are ours. We're, we're going to eat this. You know, they can find Chick-fil-A down the road. Like, who knows, really? But for me, like, when I read that story and I think about the, the flow of the Gospels, I think that boy was so compelled to give because of Jesus. Like, he, he saw Jesus for who he was, and it motivated him to give, and I think that's such an important principle as we're thinking about generosity and being open-handed. The more that you know Jesus and the closer that you get to him relationally, the more of a generous person you will actually become. And so you can almost think about it this way, that generosity is like the back end of the gospel. Like the front end of the gospel is God who generously gives his son Jesus and we respond in faith the result of that, the back end, is that we will be generous in return. And look, I I know I'm going on and on about generosity. I know this is the fourth week on a a sermon series on stewardship, and I'm sure that, you know, there's lots of us in the room where where you're like, man, I got up early today, you know, I I took a shower, I got dressed, and I came to church because I want Jesus, I, wanna, I, wanna I, I want to learn about Jesus. I want to study the scriptures in a way that grows my affections for Jesus. And so, Chris, okay, we get it with the stewardship thing. We get it with the generosity thing. Go back to Jesus. And if you're separating the two this morning, th- then I, I got to push back on you for a moment. That the more that you understand Jesus, and if you truly believe in the gospel, the more of a generous person you will actually be. That generosity is one of the greatest marks of being a Christian. Why? Because the gospel is the only thing powerful enough to take our death grip that we have around our stuff and to pry our fingers open. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only thing powerful enough to to release that grip that we have so that we move from being closed-fisted to open-handed, that seeing and savoring the generosity of God leads to us being generous people. So I have to ask you today, if you're someone who is a a stingy giver, if you're someone who does the God tax or the God tip, and you're closed fisted with your resources, I have to ask you, do you truly believe the gospel? Do you truly know the God of generosity and who he is and has he invaded your life? If you're still looking at areas in your life and saying mine, then I have to call you and say, do you believe in Jesus? And look, this morning, I want to be helpful. I don't just want to ask those questions and then pray and we're done. I want to help us by understanding how, how do you know when you are a generous person? What are some signs or some indicators that you're even growing in this area of discipleship? Let me give you five quick indicators that you are an open-handed, generous person. These are so challenging even for me as I was thinking about these things and seeing them in my own life and trying to grow in them. Here's the first one, is that you quit the comparison game. Like you stop looking at the people around you, at what they're giving or how they're sacrificing or how they're serving and trying to meet them. And instead, you actually look in your own heart to what God's calling you to and you're being faithful with that. And so then the standard isn't other people. The standard is our generous God. And you're giving out of what God places in your heart and and you stop comparing with those around you. That's a big one. Here's the second one, though, is that you actually have a high level of joy as you give. That when you give, it's not out of dread. It's not of a, I have to do this. It's, I get to do this. And, And I know many of us probably give online and there's kind of that automatic withdrawal. And so let me ask it this way. When you look at your bank statement at the end of the month and you see that money going to Pennington Park Church, what do you say in your heart in that moment? Is there a sense of, Whew, that was a big hit. I'm glad we're done with that. Now we can get on to spending however else, you know, whatever else we want to spend on. Or is there a sense of, man, God, praise you. Like, take this and use it for your kingdom. Thank you that I get to participate in your mission. And there's a satisfaction and a joy and a cheerfulness in your giving. So you'll notice that there's a joy in your generosity. Here's the third thing, is that your giving actually increases. Again, you're not just trying to get to the God tax number, the God tip number, whatever that is, but you're actually thinking through creative ways to to create more margin so that you can give more away. You're thinking about what can we cut? What can we we remove from our lives so that we can give more to the kingdom of God? And you're noticing this, this trajectory of your giving increasing, that that lid is removed. And then fourth is that generosity is more of a lifestyle than just giving out of abundance. So you're not giving Whatever is excess, whatever is left over, whatever is extra, but because generosity is part of your lifestyle, it's actually something that you're doing in every area of your life. So generosity is not something that you're doing. Generosity is actually something that you are. Like you're a generous person. You're not just generous with your money, you're generous with your time. You're generous with your words of encouragement. You're generous with your possessions. You're, You're generous with your attention. Which, by the way, is becoming a pretty scarce commodity. Like having someone's like, a full attention, like they're in the moment. Like we're not very good at that. But if you understand the gospel, you're going to become generous even in your attention and your engagement. Because generosity is actually more of a lifestyle than something that you're doing out of abundance. And then fifthly here, and I think the, one of the hardest things to get to, is that you stop asking how much and you start asking the question, what am I not giving and why? What am, I not, what am I holding on to and not giving away to God's kingdom? And the answer to that question might actually be biblical answers. It might be because I need to care for me and my family, or God has given us these things to enjoy and to use as an act of worship to, to give praise to his name. Those are good things, but maybe as you ask that question, it might actually lead to, to sinful reasons. Like you might be holding on to something because you actually view that as your security or your soul's delights, that you're noticing that, that this thing that you're not giving away is actually on the throne of your heart instead of Jesus. So getting that place of what am I not giving and why, and that's something that you will ultimately have to answer. So here's the last aspect. I'll close with this about generosity. <laughs> is that generosity leads to a lifestyle of gratitude. Lifestyle of gratitude. Look at verse 12 with me. It says, For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Faithful, generous stewards are filled with gratitude to God. There's an overwhelming thanksgiving to God because they know that giving thanks to God reveals your belief that all of it actually belongs to God. And I think the reverse is also true. If you notice a lack of thanksgiving, that might actually reveal that you're being tight-fisted with the things that God has given you, and perhaps there's a, a heart of discontentment. I know that's true in my own life. When I'm lacking this consistency in giving thanks to God for what he's given me, I can almost always point to a heart that's grown discontent in what I have. So I think Paul is is reminding us that gratitude to God is the fuel for ongoing generosity. And this is a beautiful cycle. This is a cycle to get caught up in where the more generous that you are, the more thankful you'll become. And the more thankful you are, the more generous you are. And it's just this never-ending cycle while you're admitting and acknowledging the fact that everything belongs to God that's a mark of faithful stewardship so as i as i close you might be anxiously awaiting the bottom line I, I don't know if you're wondering okay okay let's get down to it how much should christians give what percent is it 10% is it 30% is it 50% what's the number right do i need a cap my standard of living, my lifestyle to $40,000 and give away the rest? Can I not go on vacations? How many meals out am I allowed to have and still be a faithful Christian? I don't know if your heart is is wanting that number or wanting that standard. So often we just want that standard to hit, but look, here's here's maybe the, the bad news and the good news. The Bible doesn't give us a standard. The Bible does not give us a number. The Bible doesn't say, here's the amount you need to give. The Bible gives us a person to worship because the Bible understands when the heart is right, the giving will be right. That when God is truly on the throne of your heart, you understand that he owns it all, giving generously will follow. And you'll stop asking how much and you'll start asking, what am I not giving and why? See, this question have you given, is it enough? That, that question, I don't, I don't think the gospel likes that question. <laughs> Have I given enough? That question will lead you to giving out of compulsion or it will lead you to giving out of guilt. And what the gospel wants us to do is to get to that place where because we've received so much of God's grace that we start to give freely and cheerfully and out of a joy because we understand God's immense generosity to us. That is faithful stewardship. Let's pray together. God, we do once again, oh God, we praise you for your unending and immense generosity. God, we could go on and on and on this morning listing all of the gifts and the blessings that you've given to us. God, we want to first and foremost thank you and praise you for salvation, or that you've made possible in and through Jesus. Lord, we thank you that you have not only made a way for us to be saved, to be adopted into your family, but God, you've given us so many good things. God, remind us that you have gifted us in order to be generous. So Lord, I pray that you would continue to shine a light in our heart where we are holding on to those things and saying that they're mine, that they belong to me, and help us, oh God, to be generous in all things, open-handed, knowing that you own it all. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.